Hello everyone and welcome to the Phyllis Club. This is episode number 65 for January 2016. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from different countries around the world to tell us how they saw the news from the past month. My name is Patrick Beja. I'm currently still in France. I'm a resident of the country of wine and cheese. I'll tell you more about why that's not going to last in a little bit. But before that, let me welcome my two co-hosts for the day. Tom Merritt calling in live from Los Angeles. How's it going, Tom? Uh, it's going well, Patrick. And and just to tease ahead a little more to your announcement, uh, I like that you're taking the spirit of the Phileas Club uh, to heart so much that you're actually going to move yourself around the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is the goal for the show. Uh, every so often, I'm going to be doing the show from a different country. Actually, you know what? That is not so completely not so inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, let, let's talk about this in just a second. Uh, before that, let's welcome as well Matthias returning from Germany. I, I actually don't know where you are from in Germany, Matthias. Well, now I live in Konstanz, which is in, uh, near the Lake Konstanz, the famous one in Germany. Uh, but before that, I was living in Bavaria. So as you do, I move around a lot. So, mm. Well, so for me... It's uh, It's been a while since I haven't moved. I moved apartments, but it was really close uh, about almost a couple of years ago. Um, but before that, I had been in Paris for 12, 13, wait, no, 14 years. No, well, total, I will have been living in Paris for 14 years, which is, I had never done before. It's really the longest time I've been in, a, in the same place. Uh, I move around quite a bit, and I'm going to... Did you move to... around a lot growing up, too? So I moved in different places in Paris, huh. but uh -huh. um, but not only, actually, if you want to know the entire story of Patrick Beja, um, a few people might remember I was born in Lebanon, um, where my parents left, obviously, because of the war when I was very young. We came to France, moved around. I, all in all, if you count all of the moving between apartments in sometimes the same building, but still... I've moved maybe 25 times in my life. Wow. So, yeah, that's a lot. And so it was basically the outline is uh, Lebanon, Paris, Cyprus, Lebanon. No, wait, sorry. Lebanon, Paris, Lebanon, Paris, Cyprus, Lebanon, Paris, Tokyo, Kyoto, Paris, and now Helsinki. So it's kind of the same areas, but yeah, there's there's a lot of moving. So um, do, what, the, the, France always... and Tokyo, kind of the same area. What? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, on no, the I same mean... planet. Yeah, it's a Patrick takes a four-dimensional view of, of geography. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I always feel like I've moved a lot, but I don't know. Let's take a very representative sample of, you know, uh, Germany and the US. How many times have you guys moved, Matthias, for example? Uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, I think five or six times. Okay, so that's, that seems like a more regular thing. Was it all within Germany? Yeah, it was all within. Okay, so you've never lived in a different country? Uh, not for an extended part, just for mm. like a, a few months or so, uh, weeks or so in another oh, country, okay. but nothing extended. Okay. Tom, what about you? I'm still counting. 
<laughs> uh, you mean with if I'm just counting cities, I've only moved eight times. But oh, then that's I've moved not many times within those cities, obviously. Well, for, uh, for my I, 25, I'm counting everything, including... I, I grew up, uh, I spent the first 18 years of my life, not only in the same town, but in the same house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I moved, I lived an average, I can't recalculated it before we moved to LA. Uh, I had lived an average of less than six months in any particular house from wow. age 18 until age 42. Six months? Yeah. That is terrible. That must have been really hard. Yeah, I moved around a lot. Like in and San Francisco. Time to unbox the things that uh, you're moving with. Yeah. One, two, three, hmm. four, five, well, six, seven. In, in the nine years I lived in San Francisco, I lived in seven places. And that's when I had slowed down on the moving. <laughs> but I guess, so for for you, it wasn't a different country either, Tom. But I guess within the U.S., it's yeah, so yeah. large and different uh, the different states that it's almost, I guess it felt like it was a different country almost. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Southern Illinois to Northern Illinois was not that big of a move. And I did that a couple of times, but I lived in Virginia, which is way out on the Eastern seaboard. And I lived in Texas, which is deep South and not even South. It's Texas. It's its own thing. And then <laughs> I moved out to San Francisco, which is Northern California. And then LA, which is Southern California, which is almost like a different state. Right. Um, yeah, so I guess Texas to California must have been a, a significant change of environment. Um, yeah, well, Illinois to Texas was also a pretty big jump. But yeah, both right. of those were. I guess, Matthias, in Germany, it's not that. I mean, for me, Germany is old Germany. And, you know, it's all, it works well. The trains run on time. And yeah, uh, that's not it. Not so much. But <laughs> really, really, Patrick? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was Stereotypes that was for the win. <laughs> and the but, uh, Bavarians are jolly, happy beer drinkers, huh, <laughs> Patrick? Of course. <laughs> and they wear those funny hats, right? No, but I mean, yeah, right. seriously, is it? Is, do you also feel the difference? I mean, Germany is a big country, but... Uh, yeah, you do feel the difference, especially in language and even culture, because even in those different states, those aren't homogenous, like, like all the same in all the places. Bavaria, for example, uh, let me count, I think it's nine different regions, which uh, all have their own cultural identity and don't see themselves all as Bavarians. And mm. that's the same for nearly all the states. So it's mm. quite different, actually. So it's kind of like Texas related to the U.S., I suppose. Yeah, the U.S. has a very proto-form version of that. We, we, we don't have nearly as much regional difference, but you can see the seeds of it yeah. if that the was, U.S. lasted as long as Germany becoming that. that. That was a dig at Texas because, you know, we like to say that they're the different I know, and child. I tried to flip it. Yeah, thank you. Um, there's, a, there's an excellent book uh, called The Nine Nations of North America by a, a Washington Post reporter that tries to show like how there are these regional differences that people don't realize forming between places in the United States. And it's really, really fascinating. If, if you're inter interested in that sort of thing, to look at the U.S. as sort of an experiment and how these kind of regional differences start to form. It's kind of, you know, it also relates to cultural identity, I think, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, I suspect, in our actual discussions about the, the news. Um, but it's also very interesting to realize that the U.S. has such cultural diversity within the, like, the states are almost like different countries, almost, uh, in a way that in, at least in France, I don't know about Germany, but in France, we have differences between different regions, but not to the extent that we do, that you guys do in the states. I mean, we're kidding about the fact that Texas is different, but 
usually if you take uh, the middle of the country and, you know, if you go to the Midwest and if you look at the coasts and even New York to Los Angeles, it's almost a different, you know, it's, I mean, it's maybe New York and, and Los Angeles are kind of similar in some respects, but definitely the Midwest, it's completely different. It, like the, the, it's almost a different people. Um, well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, for instance, comparing Italy and Spain, uh, I find extraordinary differences, right? Differences in language particularly stands out the most. But but differences between uh, Illinois and New York, which are, where are probably, you know, close to the same distance apart, are not nearly as significant. Really? They're, they're definitely different and there's definitely cultural differences for sure. But it's 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 weird. The The states are conceived of as independent. They're called states because they're supposed to be independent little governance that then bound together in a federation. Uh, and, and I think the states fall short of that ideal, especially a lot of the Midwestern states and the Rocky Mountain states. Uh, at the same time, there there is more regional difference than maybe someone expects when they come to the United States thinking of it as one country right. because it's so big. I think that's where, you know, maybe you being in the U.S., you might have that perception, that accurate perception already. For, for me, it was actually a realization at some point mm -hmm. in the past few years when I started hanging out with a lot of Americans um, and taking in a little bit more of actual American culture rather than what you're what you gather through pop culture you know, <laughs> through movies, movies yeah yeah exactly because that's what that's what you know and it, it does paint a kind of somewhat it's it there are different things but still it, you feel like this is a monolithic American culture and you realize that the the countries are the the countries <laughs> Freudian slip <laughs> the 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 states are actually somewhat different in a way that we don't see. I don't mm -hmm. think in France or even in Germany where you do have landers and different like uh, federal like organizations, I think. Yeah. And uh, to exemplify the differences, um, well, at least it's the most extreme. If you ask most Be Be Bavarians, they will certainly agree that Bavaria should be its own country. So oh, uh, really? there are differences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who needs the rest of Germany if you have Bavaria? So, yeah. all right. So Bavaria is the Texas of Germany, then. Kind of, <laughs> um, it, or like the Catalonia. Yeah. Yeah, and and to talk to the pop culture aspect. Well, you said it before. When you think of Germany, you think of the beer, the lederhosen. Right, right. Uh, that's all Bavarian. So huh. see, why do you need the rest of Germany? <laughs> point. Yeah. That's well, my grandfather was Westphalian, and he he often looked down his nose at those. Not I don't, I don't want to say foolish. I can't remember what word he would use, but he he basically considered the Bar the Bavarians not very serious, and he was mm. a very serious person. You know, it's interesting to to think about all of this, and then when I think back of one of the most formative elements of my childhood or my my teenage years, I guess, uh, it was when we moved to the Middle East again. When I was old enough to remember, um, it was. In uh, I was about 12 uh, or so, 12 or 13, and we moved to Cyprus. We spent a year there, and then we spent a year in Lebanon. And it was hard because when you're that age, you have, you know, your teenage friends and you're starting to become a, an independent person. Um, and, and, but, so it was really hard. I was bored like, you know, hell uh, for most of that time, and I didn't adapt. But 
at the same time, it was really uh, 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 as difficult as it was at the time. It was also a chance, an occasion for me to um, take a step back from everything that made French culture what it was and and kind of isolate myself and have time to think about I was 13 so it's not like I was thinking super hard but think about who I was and what made me who I was and you know that kind of shock which I'm sure p children of of um uh, uh ambassadors have all the time every few years they move around it the the hardest it is there's kind of what i'm getting at is it was the same when i moved to japan as well the hardest it is ultimately you really do come out stronger of that uh challenge um and i don't think it's almost like i would wish upon my future children um to have that kind of traumatic experience because it was really a trauma uh so that they would come out of it a little bit stronger and not as oblivious or uh shallow as some of the kids that never have you know that always have an easy super easy life i'm not saying my my life was hard but do you do you, do you get what i'm trying to say or yeah those, those formative experiences uh teach you things is that is that kind of where what you're saying yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and invaluable lessons that that then help you later in life i, totally I guess agree. yeah it, it's basically if nothing happens to you then you're not going to learn anything about it and yeah. and if you have to overcome a challenge you or even it's not even even about overcoming it's just going through uh an event that is not going to be uh, going to be a little bit unpleasant then you learn some something about the world and something about yourself so it's kind of it was hard when it was happening because i was a 12 year old taken out of their environment and put in a place that i had nothing in common with um but in the end it was it was positive so and my know. sister actually intentionally did a lot of that because when we grew up You know, we'd go to St. Louis and Indianapolis. Those are within uh, 50, 100 miles of where we grew up. We wouldn't travel a lot. And so my sister like made sure to take her son to Chicago, to New York, encouraged him to travel. And so in high school, he, he went on trips to Jamaica. He studied abroad in Sweden, traveled around Europe. Like he's, you know, he, he's, he's made himself go and experience things, which isn't as hard because he wanted to do it, but it was also challenging and him having to like, you know, backpack around on his own taught him a lot too. Right. Yeah. So no, I just that's... want to point out that Tom just said fifteen hundred miles isn't a lot, which is <laughs> oh, kind no. of like Fif half of Europe. Fifty so. to a hundred miles. Oh, fifty oh, to a hundred. Okay. okay. Yeah, that makes sense actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, it's I th I think it it's definitely uh, um, the kind of thing I'm talking about and you know it's very much related to the reason i'm doing the show now it's kind of that uh feeling that by experiencing different things you grow as a person and i want to keep having that and hopefully i want to be able to provide that to some uh, of the people who choose to yeah, yeah. listen to the show so it's it's all related it's all connected and um it's also connected to i think a lot of what we're going to be talking about in in the show today because um in in a, a way i think the topic that i want to cover for france and uh what i've asked uh, matthias if it was the topic that we uh, were going to cover for germany 
are uh, relate to the same issue ultimately. And um, so let me go over the one that I wanted to talk about for, for France uh, and then quickly, and then we'll go to Matthias. Um, there was a uh, an attack of a Jewish teacher. He is, just happens to be uh, a teacher. He was Jewish and uh, he was wearing the kippah. And he was uh, attacked by a man with a knife, and it was very obviously an anti-Semitic uh, act. And um, that sparked a very lengthy um, and sort of unsolvable debate about uh, Judaism in France and the rise of anti-Semitism, because it has been, uh, we have seen more and more anti-Semitic acts in the past few years. Um, and the condition of the Jewish population in France and how they should respond to this growing hostility by a portion of the French society. Because, you know, obviously it fringe acts, but it's becoming more and more common. And the question of whether or not they should even uh, keep wearing the kippa and sort of display their uh, signs of their faith uh, because it puts them at risk. Some of them are thinking they want to move to a different neighborhood, a different part of the city where they can live their uh, identity. I don't even want to say their uh, religion, but their identity more freely. Um, and some people are even saying, you know, F that, I'm going to Israel, which is a very hostile environment uh, because of the war. But they they still prefer that to being in a country where they feel a constant, uh, you know, poking and, and climate of uncertainty about all of that, about their, their religion, um, which in turn has sort of led to a discussion about cultural identity and integration in French culture uh, and in a wider sense in um, in Europe. And I want to talk about this a little bit more, but uh, before we do that, I mean, in general, it's about integration and cultural heritage and how do you, do you balance the assimilation and the integration of different culture and assimilation into the culture of the country you're moving to which obviously is related to the influx of immigrants that have um, that have been, you know, uh, uh, happening in the past few months. We've discussed this on the show a few times. And another incident that happened uh, in Cologne in um, over the, the New Year's holiday, and which has also been a hot topic of discussion in France. I think it was even more uh, of a topic of discussion in France than the, the knife attack, uh, or maybe on par. And so for that, I'm going to turn to Matthias, because I'm. it was so big in France, I'm guessing it was also the main topic in uh, Germany, but I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, of course, it was the main okay. topic in Germany, and it still is. So, so maybe you can explain um, to the listeners what's what's happened, because I'm not sure everyone will have heard of it. Yeah, I, I can give a quick overview and then uh, we can talk about it. So um, on uh, New Year's Eve, there have been numerous assaults in Köln and in other cities as well. For example, Hamburg, uh, which a few people might know. And uh, these assaults have mostly been aimed at women. And uh, in some cases, they were paired with thefts. So um, far, the c police in Köln has registered over uh, about 800 complaints for this night alone and uh, over 
350 of them were sexual assault complaints. And since then, the police has investigated and arrested several suspects, uh, which some of them were detained while others were released later. But uh, most of the suspected offenders are uh, foreign nationals living in Germany. Not all of them, but uh, a large part of them. And I, I just want to specify when you're saying assaults, it's not, uh, it doesn't rise to the level of rape. I don't think maybe there were a few, but it's usually uh, just harassment. Right. That's that's one of the problems. No one is spe specifying. And I think uh, the police obviously is not clarifying because of uh, concerns for uh, the ones filing the complaints, I guess. Mm. But uh, there are um, some reports of rapes, but most of them are just just quote unquote uh, assaults. So no real rape in, in that case, but uh, which doesn't diminish anything I mean, right it was it, it, a lot of people were talking about a uh, uh, climate of uh, unsafe uh, lack of safety and uh, people hanging out uh, groups of young men uh, hanging out at uh, train stations and um, uh, basically hailing the women and maybe getting close to them touching them groping them uh, and and we've heard numerous reports of uh, the 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 most alarming thing was a lot of women were saying we just we felt we had we were just worried for us, our safety right it was very um uh almost I, i don't even know how to describe it uh it it was groups of 10 20 30 young men sitting down doing nothing at those station and when the women were passing they were like coming closer whistling and So, yeah, sorry, keep going, Matthias. I, I didn't want to interrupt you. Yeah, you're right. Um, those were uh, large crowds of people. And there are actually some, uh, there's some footage from the Kölner Dom and the uh, train station that showed a huge crowd of people uh, using fireworks and stuff like that. So if you see that, that was exactly that, that those groups, large groups of people. And uh, after the New Year's Eve, the police and the politicians came under pressure because the way they handled Uh, not only the incident, but especially the information regarding these incidents. And uh, this led to a subsequent dismissal of the police chief of Köln. Uh, but uh, also the media have come under fire because of a lot of people feel that they didn't report about the whole thing. They reported only very late and only in parts, at least in the beginning, which uh, sparked a lot of critique. And... Um, On the other hand, um, all of this also sparked a discussion about uh, the whole issue of violence against women and uh, the number of weapons sold has dramatically increased in Germany over the last weeks. So mostly pepper spray and gas pistols and stuff like that. And now all over the country, people are now stating that they don't feel safe anymore, even though nothing has happened to them or someone they know, just a vague feeling of insecurity. And on the other hand, all of that fuels, of course, the discussion of the refugee crisis in Germany and in Europe. And a lot of uh, populists have now used these assaults to fuel the resentment against many refugees and asylum seekers. But uh, it's not just the usual right-wing rhetoric you hear after any attack. Uh, it's also that Chancellor Merkel has come under fire for her policy in regards to refugees and asylum. And uh, not long ago, she said, well, Germany can handle this refugee crisis, can handle all those asylum seekers. And now more than ever, people doubt that we can actually uh, 
handle this crisis and uh, especially after what happened in uh, Köln und Hamburg um, and kind of proclaim that this might happen all over the country if we don't stop immigration. So basically we're just back to the German angst. It's mm. also a term that's known in the US, I think. Yes. And um, well, it's all about this German angst uh, for uh, um, because of immigration. And uh, the whole issue of violence now is no longer really important. Uh, it's more about uh, what do we do with all the refugees again. It's it's a really difficult issue to tackle. And uh, there have been a few people who have vehemently um, uh, answered the, the question of racism because a, a lot of people sort of pointing the issue with the large population of immigrants um, are who, the people who are saying, well, you know, when you have those populations of many, many young men um, being transplanted into a different country uh, and with such a different culture where you know, women's rights are not as valued as they are in our cultures. These kinds of things are kind of a natural consequence. Uh, and saying this makes, or at, at least the women saying, maybe I'm, I'm taking this a little bit too, in, too much into detail. Basically, it was the women saying, we show up at the train station, we arrive there, and there are, you know, dozens of uh, young people from the Middle East being uh harassing us and the the problem is that if you say that it might be understood as a racist comment and a lot of those people were saying this is a a a, a trap of trapping us into a, a The, the lie of us being racist, we are not racist. And obviously we wouldn't, we would say that about uh, a French or, you know, German origin, you know, a, a white person, let's say it like that. But it's not about racism, but the problem is still real. And the problem of immigration is still real. And I think that's sort of the, it covers sort of the, the, the way every, all of this has been reporting, which sort of between a rock and a hard place between the fact that we do, some people at least do want to welcome the immigrants and, and want to be generous and, and come uh, aid the people in need because they definitely are people in need. And at the same time, when you're faced with issues like these and the fact that you can't, it costs a lot of money to host them and all of this, you, you sort of get the, the feeling that You know, even beyond the question of cost, how do you integrate them? How do you make sure they are uh, not a disrupted, a disruptive force in society? Is it even possible? And those two, you know, there's kind of a push and pull between the two um, that is unsolvable. I don't know that we can resolve the the that problem. Um, Yeah, just one thing to your first point. Mm. You're right, of course, we'll always have said, but as sad as it is, violence against women is nothing new. So that has been an ongoing issue, and that has been discussed on several occasions over and over and over again. And now it's just a big issue, at least here in Germany, it seems. It's a big issue, uh, well, because uh, now... In quotes, so uh, it's the black Arab man, yeah. Mm. And, and now that he is part of this, everybody is crying out and is shocked. And 
in, 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 in truth, that is, that is nothing new. There has been violence you know? and sexual harassment against women all the time. Yeah. It's just that they are now using this issue to fuel hatred and use it for their own agenda. I think, you know, I think there is a, a couple of, of phenomenons happening at the moment in, in Europe and in the world, maybe. Um, first of all, the... Um, well, I think that it is true that the influx of immigrants has exacerbated this issue because I don't have any reason to doubt the reports that say that it was a, you know, when you say large populations of immigrants, it's, let's say, uh, the, the, Germany has received how many, like 30,000 immigrants, and there were maybe 200 assholes that were being those assholes at the train station. So obviously it's a lot of people, but it, it, there were also uh, immigrants in reaction to this that went to the train stations and distributed flowers. It was one thing that was reported saying, we are not those idiots. Though, you know, it's a tiny minority, but still it's, it would be lying to say that it didn't happen that way and it wasn't people who were used to something in, you know, their countries possibly that created this issue, and it does create other issues that might be similar. On the other hand, um, it feels like people are waking up to the issue of women's rights, kind of almost in the same way that people are waking up to the issues of uh, black people's rights in the U.S., Kind of in a way, you know, we had after the war a lot of progress and before the war and all of this. And it's we kind of thought that the issues were kind of resolved or on their way to being resolved. And now we're realizing that actually we still have a lot of problems in that field. And, and women's rights are still an issue and harassment towards women in general, even in our societies, are st it's still a problem. So maybe this is also part of the, of the discussion um, as a in a larger way, but, um, that's, that seems like a, like a, a separate phenomenon that is feeding into this reaction. If that makes sense, uh, there, cause there is, I think it's cyclical. I think it happened in the twenties and it happened in the sixties and seventies. And now it's happening again, where we, we achieve more rights for various subgroups. Uh, and then we get used to those more rights and we think things are going well, but we haven't, perfectly solved all the problems and so the cracks in the new as we get used to the new normal we start noticing the deficiencies and then we just start discussing those deficiencies again and i think we're going through a period right now where we are looking at those deficiencies and saying well wait a minute we haven't eliminated racism we haven't eliminated sexism because of this this and that and i think that is a a positive natural cycle that humanity goes through. Uh, and because we're in that period of questioning those rights, I think that that informs the reaction to something like this. And I'm not to say that it would have been dismissed in an earlier era, but it, it, it would have been interpreted differently, uh, perhaps certainly, you know, hundreds of years ago in Europe. Uh, and, and even I was looking at the BBC story, uh, apparently a similar phenomenon happened in Tahrir Square during the uprising in Cairo, uh, but that was lost amongst the coverage of the general uprising. Uh, so I, I think it's it's also this is out of context. Uh, you have you have a train station that people normally feel safe going to on New Year's Eve, and now you have an entirely new population of people coming in and changing the conditions at, at that station to where 
if they had known like, oh, that station always ends up getting like this and maybe they will think that way in the future, they would have avoided it or gone with more people. Uh, and, I, and I think particularly of uh, the Fruitvale BART station shooting in 2009 in Oakland, which is the opposite of this. Uh, it is known that there's, there's a disenfranchised, impoverished population near that station. Uh, and and that there are a gathering of people at that station on New Year's Eve. And so the cops come in and they just like make sure to patrol and, and make sure nothing happens. And it got taken to such an extent at that station in 2009 that uh, a, an officer says he accidentally shot someone that they were w- detaining uh, and instead of using his taser. Uh, Oscar Grant was the name of the guy. Uh, and it was a tragedy. So I, I, I think it I think it's it's a number of factors combining together and none of which are excusable, but I don't, I don't think it's something that is indicative of who any subpopulation is. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, certainly in France, we, we talk about it less now nowadays, but uh, in new year's Eve on new year's Eve, we usually have uh, (laughs) hundreds of cars burned in the suburbs because, Uh The, that is yeah it, it's just and actually every every night we have a number of cars burned in the country and um on new year's eve it's like hundreds i don't know what it is now but it certainly was the case a few years ago and it's just because you have the disenfranchised young kids of the suburbs that go out and want to have fun and they burn cars which is yeah. insane you know it's just now, imagine as insane if those to disenfranchised us, but, uh, kids had all suddenly appeared from somewhere else Right. And there were there's no history of car burning and they all burned a bunch of cars. Yeah. You would have you would have a crazy story about like what is happening? Where are these people coming from? Why are they burning cars? I think yeah, but it is it is kind of uh I guess it it is a larger story in general, but it does you know, I've looked at at in the past month, I've looked at different things that have been happening in 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 Europe and it's kind of like if it's depressed me more than things have in the past and um it's sort of gotten me to a to to a, a thought it's hard to explain but basically there were a few people in your proposing seriously that um once we welcome you know once we get immigrants in a country we ask them to give away their valuables uh, in order for them to be able to stay, so anything beyond a thousand a thousand five hundred euros, they would have to give to the authority to government, uh, kind of to to pay for their stay or so that. And that's actually standing practice in many countries in Switzerland, in Denmark, and even in Germany. Is it standing practice? Like they yeah. actually have to give. They you- actually have to give up their uh, money and their valuables. There is a certain limit th- which they can keep, but uh, everything above that limit they have to uh, uh, give up uh, if they come to Germany. The idea behind this is well, uh, it costs money for uh, you for the for the state to process the application, to feed them, to house them during that uh, that application, and if they have money, they first 
just need to use their money to uh, pay for that. And after that, they can actually get help from the state. And it uh, has been a practice, kind of the same practice if you are unemployed for a long time here in Germany. Um, there has been a reform like 10 years ago or something. And now you actually have to use your own money before you can get uh, welfare from the state. And kind of the same uh, you know, reasoning is now applied to the refugee, refugees and uh, Switzerland and Denmark are now doing the same. You know, wait, so if I moved to Germany, they'd take all my money. That doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't make that, That's not it's, it's if you are a, a refugee and uh, apply for asylum. Ah, got it. Okay. So not if you are a foreigner, but only if you want to, um, um, because asylum seekers are not immigrating the mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote normal way like you would if you would move to, move to Germany. And that's the reasoning behind it. You know, it, it, I didn't realize it was already the case in Germany. It just seems to me like it, you, you have the, it's, there's a kind of fantasy that they're just coming and they're, they're just, you know, they have money. We can take it there. They don't need it or like they should pay for their thing. It's like they're being displaced for their country. It's, it's already, maybe it's because I'm, I have a, a, you know, his history of immigration and displacement because of war actually um, mm. or my family does but it feels very inhumane to me that you would do that and yes you know if they had a hundred thousand euros that will allow them to come and just not use the country's resources and just rent an apartment and and chill while things cool down in their country i'm guessing they would do that if they just uh show up and need to have an asylum uh, uh, status and and help from the state, then they're already in a pretty dire situation. So for me, it's like, so there was that, there was in Finland, they actually have um, patrols of neo-Nazis patrolling the, the, the streets to keep the streets safe and quote unquote, inform the police of, uh, uh, issues that might happen but it's like neo-nazis in in you know shaved heads and all all of those and it's like there have been a few incidents like that and i'm looking at all of this and tom you're always the reasonable person so please help me rationalize all of this but i'm i'm looking at all of this and i'm like what are we doing you know we're supposed to be educated and to be to have uh, to be the western enlightened world where we know better if you want to be uh, super uh, um, uh, elitist about it we know better than less developed countries how are we doing this how are we okay with our governments doing this i don't i can't I mean, understand this imagine how it felt in the 30s <laughs> right. I mean, that was exactly the same attitude of we are in enlightened Europe. We just had a horrible war. Uh, we are we're not going to to let these bad things happen. And then brown shirts started walking right. around uh, and fascists in Italy. Uh, and 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 it's I, I again, I, I think it's a cyclical thing. And my sincere hope is that this particular cycle isn't as bad as World War Two. And I and I don't think it is. Knock on wood. Uh, but we 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 go through these periods where we solve a bunch of problems. Uh, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record because I just said the same thing about, you know, minority rights, but we solve problems and then we create problems accidentally. And you can trace the refugee crisis in Europe all the way back to policies in the Middle East in the 70s, where we were trying to stabilize the region. Uh, and so we gave, we supported dictators 
who who then you know dug in in places like Iraq and Egypt, uh, and then we destabilized it in the '90s and the 2000s, and dictators were overthrown, and 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 so revolutions right. spread, no, and some I, of them were excellent, uh, like in Tunisia, some of them like in Syria have been a disaster, and more recently, uh, it's the inability of Russia and the United States to get along. That has caused Syria to become an ignored problem, uh, which has allowed the rising of Daesh no, I, and yeah. allowed and allowed a horrible refugee crisis to happen. I, I understand this. I understand the 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 re- the reasons behind all of it. You know, I understand mm-hmm. the historical trace, the route that it has taken. I'm just baffled by some of the reactions. You know, by some of the people saying some things that I. Th- you know, it's almost like give people the internet and they use it to you know harass each other and and well, download remember porn sample and, and size I'm not, and i'm you're, and i'm you're not, hearing you know, you're hearing one of billions of people of course, expressing of it. course and i understand all of this i'm not i'm usually the person that's saying you know when people say oh you <laughs> sure, know sure. now everything's crappy and i'm like actually no everything's better than it's ever been but i'm just I, i'm just baffled by by all uh, 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 calculations. If you give people more knowledge, they should be, you know, better education should lead to better decision making and better. Well, and I guess what I'm saying is we're actually making better decisions than we have in the past. Right, we're still right, not right. perfect yeah. <laughs> by any yeah. stretch. And I think uh, that also leads me to another completely puzzled look at a country and a person in particular. I don't know if that's going to be your topic for the day, Tom. What the but news I, from the United States is the yes. snow right now. Oh. I just I just wanted to talk about the weather. What, what are you bringing, Patrick? What are you going to make I'm, me talk about? I want to talk about Trump. Ah. Because I do, there are a couple of things that I don't, and and after that we can talk about the snow. But uh, oh, Matthias, <laughs> we're we're sort of monopolizing the conversation. You jump in anytime you want, of course, and you interrupt us. I okay? will, I will. Um, but Trump, I have a specific uh, question about this this thing. I'm the the question the the issue. Not I'm not calling Trump a thing, um, but. <laughs> It's almost like, uh, Tom, you're very reasonable and you usually try to see both sides of everything. And with Donald Trump, it's kind of, um, it's reaching a level where it's not funny anymore. And it's kind of like, I feel like neutrality in the media is almost complicit in the, the, the rise of this buffoon, right? And... Mm. It's kind of at some point you have to say this is not okay or this is ridiculous or and it it relates a little bit to what I was saying about education and decision making and all of this and it's like how can he be the leading uh uh running uh, runner in a major party in a major country it's like how can people edu- who are supposedly somewhat educated I'm saying somewhat because the US mm. education system is you know, uh, iffy at best, but how can he be the front runner? How is it possible that this thing is happening? I'm completely baffled by this. Completely, well, your, your uh, bafflement is your bafflement is understandable because you are thinking that the United States uh, allows all of its citizens 
to choose from its brightest and best people uh, to decide who should compete for the presidency. And if you look at it that way, uh, it seems a very odd selection uh, that we would have Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders as the, the four most intelligent and amazing people to run for the president in the United States. But it's not how it works. What we've done over the years is restrict who can run for the presidency more and more uh, in a primary election system that favors tacking to the extremes of your party. And that is why you see Bernie Sanders doing so well in the Democratic uh, debates. Bernie Sanders, if you don't know, was a socialist. He was not a part of the Democratic Party. And this is this is a symptom of the of the problem. He had to become a Democrat to run for president. Because as a socialist, there was no way he was going to run for president. Uh, only Donald sane, Trump, only sane person in the running, by the way, Bernie Sanders. I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, you know, if you're an extremist from France, I'm sure well, you would, <laughs> you would think that. Uh, uh, on the other hand, Donald Trump also was not a Republican his entire career. He's been a Democrat before, but he had to become and or, or rather confirm that he's a Republican and he had to enter the Republican primary to run for president. And so what, what Donald Trump has very wisely done is recognize something that has been exploited by other candidates over the years, that the primary system uh, can get you nominated if you appeal to the most extreme elements of your party. Uh, and that the the way the, the way people in, the way people follow politics is is to l listen to the sound bites for things they like to hear. Uh, those are the people who are going to vote in the primaries. And so that's why, you know, and I thought what we have seen in the past is the most extreme candidate rises prior to the primaries and then they get defeated in the primaries when the silent moderates in the party do come out and vote for a less extreme candidate. And over the course of the primary season, somebody like a Mitt Romney or a Barack Obama rises to the top. And you can argue that if depending on where you sit, those people seem extreme, but they were less extreme than other members of their parties at the time. Uh, I think what we're witnessing right now, and, we, and remember, we haven't voted on anything yet. There hasn't right, been right. an Iowa caucus or a New Hampshire primary or a more populous state that's more representative. Neither one of those states are representative of the general thinking of the United States. Uh, we, we, have, we have yet to see what people will actually vote for, but we have a bunch of polls. And it will be very interesting to see. I thought Donald Trump would fade before now. He hasn't. Uh, in fact, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz are essentially uh, considered by the Republicans to be the two people that they have to choose from uh, to to win the primary election. Uh, Both and that insane, is not, by the way. That is not a happy prospect for them. Uh, and and I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Republican Party. Uh, what happened in the '60s. Was the primary Tom, system so, okay, was, was sorry, well, just, hold on, hold on, just one more thing. Okay. In the '60s, the primary system was run in a way that was controlled by the party elites, and there was a rebellion against the idea that you didn't have the voice of the electorate expressed there, and you had somebody like George McGovern uh, end up as the Democratic nominee because of that and he was considered a, a leftist extremist and he lost to Nixon. I think you're, you're, the Republicans are looking at this the same way, like, well, Donald Trump is, you know, very popular among the extreme. We don't know if he can win the election if, if he gets nominated. 
So everything you're saying makes a lot of sense, but I think you're you're sort of misunderstanding my my befuddlement at okay. all of this. I'm not. I understand that that he's now. We're only kind of polling. Essentially, what what the 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 polls are doing is polling the extremes of the party, right? This uh, no, is what well, the polls are are polling people uh, who are likely to vote, and and the primary and system at this stage really it, only brings in the most extreme members of its parties because most of America just waits until the general election to vote. Right. Uh, so. So, so it's a broken system is what I'm saying. But I guess what I'm wondering about is how can there even be a, a, a segment of the Republican population that is crazy enough to announce that they, seriously that they would vote for Trump in the election? This is well, what your, when, your view when, of humanity is very homogenous, and I and I wish it were true. But no, in I'm, every population, there are people who believe things that you think are are crazy. I don't think this is. I don't think I've ever seen anything that rises to the level of clownism and dangerosity. Of I mean, it it can't. It's so outrageous. What he says is that it would be funny if it wasn't uh, ridiculous. And, well, and, and the thing to remember with Donald Trump uh, and and those of us who've lived in the United States with The Apprentice airing constantly, uh, probably maybe more aware of this. He says a lot of things that he doesn't mean. He says a lot of things for effect. Uh, I'm not excusing them, by the way. Uh, he this says isn't a presidential election. Things. Yeah, that's but, the point. But he has to differentiate, differentiate himself from other Republican candidates. If yeah. he gets elected the uh, Republican nominee, then he can use moderate uh, rhetoric to compete against a Democrat. But within the Republican Party, he has to differentiate himself. And how do you do that best? By crazy and by um, being an extreme But yeah. I don't. There, but there that two, much of an two, extreme is—it's almost like if you were saying. Sorry, I, I just want to put uh, slip that in. It's almost like if you if the guy was taking off his shorts and putting them on his head and going like la 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 la. I'm a bee. I'm a bee, and I'm flying around. And you're like, how can you vote for that person? And and the answer would be, oh well, he has to appeal to the most extreme people in his party. It's like to me, what he's saying and what he's doing is almost equivalent in levels of craziness to doing that stupid thing I just described. So I don't understand how anyone, you know, if you looked at okay, that so your question person, isn't about how how our system can nominate Donald Trump. Your question is about why are there stupid people in America? Who are who think that's a positive thing to hear what he says, positive or acceptable? Yes, but that's uh, the idea of a democracy. If there are those people, they have the right to represent themselves by someone like Trump being represented right. by someone like Trump. I'm so. just, I just don't understand. I just can't believe that there are those people. Oh yeah, no, there's a lot of those people, and those people are not. Those are people who think that Islam is not a religion. That is uh, that is believed by you know people like Aziz and Sari's parents. Uh, they think of Islam as, as a country. communists. Oh. Islam is is the people who want to blow us up, right? It is it's a lack of understanding. Uh, and so when he says we should keep the Islamic people out of the United States, those people here, we should keep terrorists and folks who want to blow us up out of the United States. And that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say if you put it that way. I don't want anyone who wants to blow me up uh, to come into the United States. 
but they haven't thought down the line enough to think, well, wait a minute, how do you know they want to blow you up? And by the way, Islam is not the same as the people who want to blow you up. Uh, and, and it's just it's a lack of understanding on the part of a large part of the populace. But Marine Le Pen appeals to a lot of people who think the same way in France. So I don't think the United States is unique in having people who don't like to think something all the way through to the end. Well, so this is exactly, I think, where I, I was thinking this was going to go. And a couple of things. First of all, I'm, you know, I understand there are idiots everywhere. And, and certainly I know because, uh, I, I've seen this more than once. I know that the, the, <laughs> there are people like that in every country and the, the, base of the population is often a lot less educated or doesn't think things through a lot less than you 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 think they would but the difference between Marine Le Pen and other uh, right-wing extremists in many different countries i think the difference is very stark the, even in the things they say if Marine Le Pen would say things like tr trump said it she would be laughed out of political life she oh, says so, controversial things. So more things. things like her dad says. Is that what you're saying? I, and when the dad said things like that, he was in deep trouble. And people, there was no... Um, and and it, it wasn't as bad or as silly or as clownful as uh, what Trump is saying. It was really bad. But when they happened, he was in trouble. He was he was doing it for effect. But he was it was pointed to as unacceptable. And what bothers me, maybe I'm just not hearing it, but what bothers me is that it seems to me uh, that the current climate around Trump is still to take him as a uh, joke and haha, ha, what he says is funny. He'll never really get the, the nomination and ah, well, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, democracy and it's free speech so he can say whatever he wants. Of course he can say whatever he wants, but it feels like journalists and maybe that's because they're more ethical than I am and I wouldn't want them to be. But journalists, people whose jobs is to analyze all of this, are not saying what they, I think, should be saying and what they are saying or what they were saying when Marine Le Pen's dad were, was saying those inaccurate, outrageous, revisionist things. Uh, and in the US, they're looking at what Trump says and they're like, very neutral, very ethical, saying, well, and Donald Trump said this, and the reaction was this, giving him an air of respectability, almost, or like it's okay for him to say things like these, that validate him. And that's why I don't understand what... I, I, I don't, don't, I don't know if that's... Yeah, go ahead, Matthias. Uh, I was, that's what you are seeing from the outside. Maybe right. there are journalists that uh, do say that, but you're not just seeing that because mm. they are not the loud ones you see. I mean... There have been a lot of crazy presidential candidates in the past. It's just that Donald Trump is now such an exponent figure. Everybody knows him and the media love him. That's why you are now seeing that much crazy in this light. There always have been people like that, just not as big as him. And and I think I, I don't know that it's true that journalists in the United States have just been giving Trump a pass. I don't know that it isn't true. I, I haven't followed American journalism closely enough to tell. What I have seen is that when he said uh, the comment about the Fox News commentator and when he said the comment about immigration, uh, that he was immediately leaped upon by everyone condemning those remarks. Uh, he lost speaking engagements. People within the Republican Party tried to uh, shut him out of events uh, and he just kept 
barreling along. Uh, mm. And that goes back. I, I don't point your finger at the journalists. I don't think the journalists control people's opinions. In fact, journalists coming out against Trump might actually fuel him to greater heights at this point, because I, my guess is the underlying appeal of Donald Trump is that he is not saying what everyone expects politicians to say. And sometimes that's awful. But that appeals to some people. They're like, well, I don't agree with that thing that he said. But you know what I like? I like that he speaks his mind. I like that, it, you know, he's not beholden to the journalists and he's he's not beholden to the politically correct people. And and that has been a feeling in the United States for decades is that politicians never say what they actually think. So there's an air of relief around the people who support Trump, that finally we have a real candidate. Uh, and it's the same appeal that Ross Perot had in the 90s. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess maybe I'm not, you know, obviously, as you were saying, Matthias, I'm seeing this from the outside. So it's not a very clear picture of what it is. I had, I just had this, you know, this, uh, I guess to, to conclude this very um, objective and neutral analysis of the situation, <laughs> I will say, and this is how you get Hitler elected. Godwin point reached, oh, God, and we Godwin can get it. Hey, uh, as a code to that, uh, mayor, uh, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg uh, has started to talk to advisors about running an independent candidacy. So okay. that'll make it even more fun. All right. Is it, why? Is it because he is, uh, there are independents all the time, right? Well, and the, you know the other point. No, there there are rarely any independents that get oh. that get any significant amount of votes. I mean, we have a Green Party oh, right, candidate, right. Libertarian Party candidate, but somebody like Bloomberg can actually be a Ross Perot. He can come in and and command a bunch of votes. Uh, and one thing that I haven't touched on, which I think is important to understanding Donald Trump, is more and more you need money to get elected in the United States, not votes. Uh, and that is something Donald Trump is not only has but is very good at raising. Uh, and that also explains a lot of his momentum that has nothing to do with public opinion, just the ability to spend enough money to get enough awareness to get the poll numbers. Uh, and Michael Bloomberg is somebody who can also spend a lot of money and raise a lot of money. And that's even more an issue than Donald Trump itself. The fact yeah. that you need that much money to even run for a presidency. Mm. Absolutely. Which is, I understand, money equaling free speech um, is an interesting concept we could discuss at some point, but... It's it's less uh, as very often uh, as I approach something in a very simplistic way. It's less clear cut than it might seem to some people. The money equals free speech thing is is very valid well, money, as a point. Yeah, uh, money can be a form of speech. I get I get what you're yeah. saying, but it has an outsized influence. Of course, right now. of course, yeah. Especially when all the money is in the hands of a select group of people and blah, 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 and all of this. But um, yeah, and and just before we move on, and you can talk about the weather and the snow, Tom, <laughs> if you want to, um, uh, is Bernie Sanders considered as much of an extremist as uh, Trump in the other direction? Or Because to me, what he yes. says makes a lot if of sense. If you ask but, a Republican uh, about Bernie Sanders, they'll say he's a dangerous, crazy individual who says things they can't believe that people uh, accept and support. Okay. Have have you followed a little bit of Bernie Sanders, Matthias? Because for me, as a French socialist, he, as I was saying, he makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure how what you think about him. I would say the same thing. But then again, as you do and as Tom does, I am a lot on Reddit and Reddit loves Bernie Sanders. So you can't miss yeah. it. Yeah, Bernie Sanders is always appears on the front page of Reddit. 
Uh, but and then the again, so of, does Donald Trump and his hair. So. <laughs> well, the appeal of Bernie Sanders is very similar to the appeal of Donald Trump, which is someone who's willing to say things that aren't normal for a candidate. And in this case, it's things that appeal to the far left of the Democratic Party, uh, you know, and say things about taxation that Democrats have shied away from because it'll lose the moderate voters. Uh, but it's, you know, a socialist principle that he upholds. And the people who've been believing that for a long time, again, have that same sigh of relief I was talking about with Trump. Like, finally, somebody's saying what I believe. Hmm. Interesting. Um, all right. What is the real thing you really wanted to talk about, Tom? And I apologize. Uh, for no, the honestly, I was probably going to talk about the election because that is d dominating the headlines. Although yesterday, uh, the snowfall drove everything out of the headlines uh, because we got 22 inches of snow in some parts of the eastern seaboard. So, yeah, Can not much to talk about there. For but Europe? 22 inches? Can someone convert this for normal people? inches in centimeters is exactly 55.88 centimeters. So that's Thank a lot of you. snow. Yeah, yeah. It's deep. <laughs> uh, and, and parts of uh, Virginia, Pennsylvania, even New York a little bit. Uh, have been shut down. Carolina's got dumped on. Kentucky, I think, got is the one who got the 50-plus centimeters. Uh, Kentucky got the, the majority of it. There was even a, a, a line of 35 miles of cars that got stuck um, because they were out on the road when the snow started to dump. Mm, that's always fun. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so that's the the story yeah so i mean my uh, personally i was paying more attention and california is has a drought so we're like sort of slightly jealously looking at all this precipitation falling <laughs> on one part of the continent uh but also like thankfully that we, we don't have that cold weather but my wife was in new york until friday morning and so there was a as this, the weather got closer we started to realize that it wasn't going to hit until after she left but she really did almost get the last flight out of new york like uh it was it was touch and go there for a while whether that weather system was going to hit and then once it did they canceled all the flights on saturday oh. uh nobody's going anywhere in the so eastern sea today what was she was she running towards the the, the plane <laughs> with the snow chasing her and her i would like to yes go, in the movie go! in the sci-fi movie version of the story <laughs> that is exactly what's happening <laughs> the snowstorm was coming down the runway as she leaped onto the plane right exactly and it, it flies off and then the entire airport is engulfed in snow don't even joke about this i'm going to finland in a week it's gonna ah. be crazy yeah yeah It, it, we only have the joke. I mean, when my wife uh, first started living in France, uh, we had a summer, uh, a winter with a couple of days of snow. And <laughs> in Paris, we're not very used or equipped for all of this. So the bus I was taking to go to work had a, a slightly a sloped uh, road on a that go, went up a hill, and it couldn't go on that day because there was too much snow. And so I came back to I came back home after having gone to work. Um, Um, in the morning, I had to come back and she just she couldn't understand that just a f couple of centimeters of snow meant that I that the roads would stop. So um, in Finland, usually it's it's they you know, when it's snowing, it's the middle of, of a snowstorm. They just land the plane. No problem. They're fine. Yeah. Well, and I grew up in a, a fairly snowy 
part of the world. We had like a, I think a 27 inch, uh, so almost 60 centimeter uh, dump when I was seven years old. Uh, so when I lived in Virginia, in Arlington, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., and they had a big snowstorm, and it was a big snowstorm while I was living there, uh, it became the light that they only had three snow plows in the entire <laughs> city. And I was like, what? How is that possible? My hometown of 5,000 people has more than three snow plows. Uh, and in Texas, it was even crazier. And I've told this story before, I think, in other venues where we had a light dusting of snow one day in Austin, Texas. And I walked to work, uh, you know, less less than a kilometer from work. Uh, and I got to work and there were only three people who had showed up. Uh, myself, <laughs> a woman who grew up in Minnesota, and a guy who grew up in Germany. And everyone else had just assumed because <laughs> snow had fallen that, of course, work had been canceled. <laughs> That's funny. I'm, uh, but you know, I'm uh, for me. I talked about this in the um, uh, update I posted on Patreon um, uh, earlier. I think a couple of weeks ago. I'm really looking forward to being in Finland with uh, snow-covered landscapes because for, I've never been there. I've never seen that. You know, I've always been in relatively warm countries, and for me. A, a, a forest or a, a, you know a field covered in snow is kind of, I, it's only it's something i've only ever seen in movies so oh, yeah. it, it, it's for me going there would almost be like entering a fantasy land and the city will be you know whatever but if we go out to the countryside it's like entering something that is that has existed only in my imagination until now So you yeah, will you're just going do podcasting from the wilderness of Finland. So what? Sorry, Matthias. I said you will just do podcasting from the wilderness. Yes, I hope so. Um, I'm, I hope we can get to the uh, to the country house before the snow goes away. And by the looks of it, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm hoping we can go there and podcast from the snow before I go to Japan because that's now happening in April. Um, so we have a couple of months uh, before we, we yet again, as we were saying at the beginning of the show, uh, I displace myself again in a very uh, Phileas Clubby way to uh, another country. So the next episode is going to happen from Finland. Uh, we're going to have a, a couple of those and then it's going to be from Japan. So I'm going to be able to report on all of the uh interesting quirks of different countries hopefully in the next few months so i that love that you're booking someone from finland fine but that's not good enough for patrick he's just <laughs> gonna go there himself exactly i have to investigate uh yeah. on the ground and and then japan i've lived in japan right. as i was saying and uh, i'm really looking forward to to going back i hope it's going to happen it's looking like it's going to um but yeah japan is going to be interesting too uh i'm going to be there for a couple of months Uh, basically, I have to come back to Europe before E3 starts because I have to report on E3 and do live shows and all of this. And it's probably going to be easier if I'm in Europe because of the time differences. So I would have to leave anyway because I'm going to go on a tourist visa so I can stay more than three months. So I would have to leave a week later anyway. So I figured let's come back in time for E3. It's going to make things easier. But then you go back to Finland, right? Yes, yes, exactly. I'm not going yeah, back yeah. to France. I'm living in Finland from there on. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few months uh, in in uh, in this year for the Beja household. But uh, what I guess as a conclusion, I will say that as I was saying in the beginning, 
it's always good to uh to to make yourself to to remove yourself from your comfort zone every once in a while because if if you get too comfortable for too long it's it's um easy I'm not saying it it happens to everyone but it's easier to to get a little bit lazy and to uh not experience those things that challenge you and that make you learn something or grow a little bit or learn something new so there's also a little bit of that in in our decision to um to go to Finland so I'm looking That's forward to vicariously traveling with you. <laughs> well, that is absolutely what's going to happen. So um, I'm glad that I can be of service to some of you guys. Uh, and that is going to be it for the show. The boxes are looking at me with a, uh, um, a watchful eye <laughs> and making me feel guilty that I'm not paying any Fill attention me, to Fill me, Patrick. <laughs> So we're going to end the show here. I want to thank again Tom and Matthias for being uh, for being on. Uh, and before we go, Matthias, can you tell people where where they can find you uh, on the internet? If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at uh, Matzekult. That would be M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T. Or you can search for me on Google+. Uh, what does Matzekult mean? That has been a nickname I got like uh, 15 years ago from my friends. Uh, but is it the of cult of Matthias? Or? <laughs> kind of. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit hard to explain if you don't speak German, but uh, uh, it's a composition of uh, Matze is a, a common abbreviation, a nickname for Matthias in Germany. And the uh, uh, cult was just uh, because... Today would call them dad jokes. I did a lot of dad jokes back then, and uh, they uh, the people loved them so much, and they, that they say they were cultic, and uh, which, which means like, a, um, well, what do you right. call it in English? Well, they, yeah, uh, in any case, it's uh, composite out of two nicknames, kind of. So it's and the, I, the, it stuck with me. So it came from the jokes of Matthias. So basically, they were Matthias jokes, right? The the cult of the yeah, okay, yeah. cool. And uh, it has the added benefit that no one uses this nickname on any social media <laughs> service or anything. So it's always free. Right, it's, right. So so basically, I'm now. Uh, sort of frustrated because you've never said any of those jokes you never told any of those jokes on the show so maybe not today i'm not going to put you on the spot but next time the note for next time yes exactly uh tom you also have a name that is never uh used on social media services because it's kind of a weird one uh but how can people find it and you and what you do on the web yeah, I, I pick. Uh, I keep with Ace Detect for the same reasons that Matsukult, uh sticks with his uh, because it's usually available. So A C E D T E C T on Twitter. If you can figure out how to follow me, then you deserve to follow me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a little. It's a little hurdle to. To make to, sure you to really show really that want you're it. Yeah, yeah that you're a real fan. <laughs> if you don't, and that's fine. If you don't want to, I, no judgment. I totally understand. Uh, but TomMerritt.com is the place to find all of my podcasts, uh, including the lovely Daily Tech News Show, uh, DailyTechNewsShow.com, with uh, frequent appearances once a week, usually on Tuesdays, uh, by Patrick Beja. Uh, so if you're into tech news, join that as well. Excellent. Uh, I encourage people to do so. And uh, for me, it's on Twitter and Facebook, not Patrick, which are also usually available. But I've seen more and more 
times when I try to go to a new service, uh, it happens that not Patrick is taken. And I always wonder who is the asshole that takes my name on purpose because certainly <laughs> they're not actually Patrick. Yes. What are what and what are they hiding? Um, right, so it's usually not Patrick. And of course, you have the website frenchspin.com where you can find this show and Pixels, a video game show that we do every couple of weeks. Uh, if you want to uh, contribute to the show, you can uh, donate to our Patreon. It is available as pa at patreon.com slash Club, And uh, I very much appreciate the generous contributions uh, of everyone that is a patron. It, we're inching towards the next goal and uh, I'm, I'm really thankful to everyone who is actually taking money out of their hard-earned cash and instead of contributing to for example their local extremist politician deciding that a much better use of their money is to uh, give it to someone who's going to uh, try and expand uh, their views on the world or at least uh, expose their silly biases towards said extremist politician and have them uh, corrected by a very astute and um, a, a highly intelligent uh, denizen of the country I'm talking about. That was way too I, convoluted. I, by the way, support the Phileas Club, so I challenge you out there uh, to give the equivalent of a dollar per episode yourself. Yeah, that, uh, that, 82 more of you do that, and he hits his milestone. That would be amazing. Also, if you don't want to contribute monetarily, what you could do is go to iTunes, like the real Strummy from Germany did. Uh, he said, or she said, a must, one of the be best podcasts out there, informative, entertaining, and intelligently done. I don't know if it's intelligently done because I'm the one doing it, but certainly the hosts might uh, be contributing to that intelligent, but informative and entertaining. Thank you very much. What more do you need in a show? Uh, if you can go to iTunes and also uh, leave a review, whatever country you're from, I will probably see it because I'm using a service that allows me to do that. And uh, I will be incredibly happy to receive five stars or less if you think the show is worth less um, from you on iTunes. It helps, it helps us uh, be a little bit more visible in that uh, podcasting catalog, which is one of the ways that people find podcasts still to this day. And uh, it's always helpful to have more visibility. So that's another way you can contribute tribute to the show if you don't wish to go to patreon.com slash the Phineas club thank you do very both. much for what is this i said do both oh do both yes if you want to that would be awesome um that's it for us next episode uh whether it's a special uh mid-month special or a regular episode at the end of the month will be done from finland i hope everything goes well we'll see see you then bye everyone bye